Well, hey there, friends, and welcome to another brand new episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. I'm Joe Webb. And I'm Brandon Wood, and this is a podcast for spiritual exiles, all of us looking for faith beyond the confines of institutional religion. Yeah, and we, man, do we have a guest that is beyond the confines of institutional religion today, my friend. The great drinker of the spirits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh. We're beyond the confines of something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, so the voice may be familiar to you if you're a longtime listener to the podcast, but um, our good friend Brad Davis is yeah. back with us today. Brad uh, was with us, I think it was back in season one, uh, maybe late season one, early season two. Um, Brad, you were on to, to talk about the Holler Gospel, uh, which is, man, that's a that's a movement that's, that's gaining some steam. Um, but today we got, um, kind of a different, um, a different story to tell. And um, so I guess just uh, let me give you a chance to introduce yourself to the folks and then um, we'll get into a little bit of the backstory and then um, we'll, we'll get into this whole thing. So Brad, welcome back to the Accidental Tomatoes yeah. podcast. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Brandon. It's a pleasure to be with uh, some of my favorite people once again. Uh, glad, glad to be here. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm Brad Davis. I, I am a clergy person in the West Virginia Conference of the United Methodist Church, uh, serving currently a church uh, in Logan, West Virginia, which is in the heart of the Southern Coalfield region of the state. Um, so, yeah, that's who I be. <laughs> that's who you love be. It. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. There, there's a lot more to who you be, and we're going to dig into some of that um, here here in just a few minutes. But uh, I, I guess I guess just in terms of a little bit of backstory, when uh, when Brandon introduced you as a great drinker of spirits, there's <laughs> there's sort of an inside joke, I guess, um, that, that we can let folks in on a little bit of um, <laughs> because it, the, the way the way this whole interview kind of came about as, as we were, a, a bunch of us were together um, doing some planning work for the Accidental Tomatoes, you know, for the podcast and the website. And, uh, and, and, you know, we may have had um, a, a sip of local um, bourbon or, or two yeah. uh, from a, from a local distillery there where we were having our retreat and, uh, and, and you were good at it. And I, I think that's why Brandon. <laughs> yeah. But but as a result of all of that, um, all, all that's a backstory to say that um, as 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 those kinds of things tend to do, uh, led into some really, I mean, really yeah. interesting conversation. And and Brad, you started to to kind of tell me um, some other parts of your story that I was only sort of vaguely familiar with before we had that conversation. And I think we just sort of decided, man, this is um, this is actually uh, a really good topic for the podcast because I think it. Um, I think it'll help folks get some deeper insight into some of the cultural issues um, that folks in Appalachia are up against. Um, and, uh, you know, some of the you know, we were talking right before we started recording about sort of the, the sort of shadow economy um, that happens in in um, some parts of the world um, where where there are uh, lots of substance use um, disorder issues and things like that. So. Um, so yeah, um, why don't you, um, I guess start wherever you want to start, Brad, and, um, let's just, uh, let's, let's let the folks hear some of your story. Okay. Well, first of all, 
you can't rightly be from the southern coal fields and not be a great drinker of spirits. <laughs> that, that's first and foremost. <laughs> Let's get that out of the way. Uh, that that's just a, a DNA cultural thing, right? Yeah. Um, so no, so so as I said in in the introduction, and and for the listeners that may be familiar with me from from my prior appearances on the podcast. Well, and you're I, writing like I, I should have said, I, you're writing on the website too. So yeah, great stuff. Um, that's that's another piece of of the who Brad Davis is, right? Right, as a, a content creator for uh, Accidental Tomatoes, yes, for for that community. Um, so as I said, I, I am a clergy person. Uh, I am now in my 11th year um, of pastoral ministry uh, in the West Virginia Conference. But, uh, you know, we, we talk a, a lot about second career pastors, mm-hmm. right? Uh, pastors who didn't go directly from uh, undergrad or, or rather from high school to undergrad to seminary and then into the ministry of that that's becoming increasingly a thing of the past as it was for me. I, I am a second career pastor, or you might say a third or fourth career mm-hmm. pastor because I, I had a prior life uh, uh, prior to coming into the ministry, prior to coming into the faith. Um, uh, a big aspect of that life was my immersion into the drug culture, um, the the drug lifestyle, uh, if you will, um, that is prevalent not only here uh, in my neck of the woods in, in southern West Virginia, but but really, you know, all over the world. Yeah, as we talked a little bit about before. So, so you were, you know, a, a young Appalachian young man, um, and. You know, there are, there are, I guess this, you know, it's sort of in the, I'm trying to think of how to, to word it, but in that region, um, I got to imagine, you know, the drug culture is pretty prevalent. I, I mean, I think, you know, all of us who are at least a little bit aware of what's going on in the world know that that, that region is, you know, one of the, the highest incidences in the U.S. anyhow of, um, of opioid um, addiction issues. Um, but, you know, I think there's more to it than that. Right. Um, so tell us a little bit about, you know, when you say you were immersed in the drug culture, like how did, how did that get started for you and and what did that life look like for you? So, so yeah, you, you, you are correct that, uh, you know, this is kind of the, we West Virginia is kind of the epicenter of the, the opioid crisis, the ongoing opioid crisis that, that started, roughly uh, 20 years ago or so, uh, I predate that. Um, I, I, I got involved in um, narcotics uh, in the very early 90s. Uh, for those of, of us that, that grew up in the 80s or were around in the 80s and then into the 90s, you, you will well remember uh, not only the war on drugs, but but what precipitated the war on drugs, which was the rise of crack cocaine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so so that was my first experience 
uh, with the drug culture. I, I, I was um, very young, just out of high school, uh, went to college, uh, went to West Virginia University in Morgantown. And um, for me, uh, I, I, I should not, I was not mature enough uh, to be on my own at that point in life because I I withdrew from school during the second semester of my freshman year uh, simply because I, I just I spent my time doing a lot of other things rather than school, which which tends to happen a lot in Morgantown. Right. Um, so. Yeah. So. Uh, at that point, I find myself as a 19 year old um, with no prospect for a job uh, or, or at least any meaningful job um, and and went, trying to figure out what the heck I was going to do with my life. And I kind of fell into um, uh, some of the stuff that um, my friends, people that I were that I was close to growing up, had already gotten into, which was the distribution of uh, narcotics, i.e., crack. At that point, um, my first experience with that was standing on a street corner in Huntington, uh, in in a very in a part of Huntington where drugs are very prevalent and, and still to this day are very prevalent. Uh, my very first experience was standing on that street corner, being in a public housing project that same night and, and getting robbed that same night oh, wow. at gunpoint. Wow. Um, that that um, kind of led to uh, bringing that from Huntington back to my hometown. Uh, which is Williamson uh, in Mingo County, West Virginia, and, and myself and the, the people that I was associated with. Uh, and I don't mean this to sound like like to glorify this in any way, but we were really the pioneers of the crack cocaine uh, explosion there. We, we were the first people to bring that substance into that area. Mm. So that's how, that's how it kind of got started for me. Uh, and, and then when the, the we, we talk a lot about uh, people who are addicted to the substances themselves, right? Yeah, yeah. We don't, we, we don't talk nearly enough about how the people that are distributing the substances are also addicted. You become, I'm not speaking for myself, I became addicted to the money, the lifestyle, and all that goes with that, all of the trappings that go with it. Mm. You know, if, if I remember right, when when you and I were first having this conversation, I think that was the thing that you said that really um, just really impacted me because that was something like I grew up in West Virginia too, not in the same part of the state that you did. Um, but I, you know, I was a child of the seventies and eighties and, you know, there, there was always sort of, 
in my day, it was it, probably marijuana was the thing that was most prevalent, you know, and um, and that was always kind of around. And you knew basically, you know, who was participating in that world, you know, in, in small town, West Virginia. Um, but, you know, when you think about the addiction end of it, you tend to think of the substance itself, right? And not kind of that larger um, lifestyle, as you put it. And, and, and that, that really kind of blew me away the first time I heard you say that. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we talk about a lot about chasing for those who are addicted, chasing a high, right. Continually chasing the high, what people, I think that what people who have never been involved in the lifestyle don't recognize or don't realize is that, uh, the money is a high, the lifestyle is a high and you chase that continuously. I, I spent the vast majority of a good 15 years of my life between 1990, 91 to 2005, solely consumed with making money. Mm. Um, you know, you hear stories of uh, people who are addicted in active addiction you know, staying up for two, three, four days consecutively, getting high and, and continually chasing that high. It's no different for those of us who were distributing. Uh, it, it was not uncommon for me to be up for 72 consecutive hours uh, dealing drugs to folks. Mm -hmm. Uh, because the money comes, the, the money comes fast and a lot of it comes and you don't want to miss any of it mm. when, when you are in, when you are immersed and merged in that at the moment, in that moment, you don't want to miss it. I mean, that, that whole lifestyle seems very, very unrestful, like no, like, are you, are you, are you afraid someone's going to take your territory or take, you know, your clientele or is it just, you're trying to get the money and, and, you know, there's no rest involved. That's a good way to put it, Brandon. Unrestful is, is a good, uh, good word to use a good adjective to use that. And to answer the question, all of the above. Mm. Um, you, if, if people have money to spend, you do not want to miss the opportunity to take their money because if you aren't there to take it, somebody else. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so it's almost like, you know, this, um, uh, a shadow version of, of our capitalist economy where, right. Where if, if I miss out on an opportunity to put food on my table, it's somebody else taking from me to put food on theirs. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I, you know, that's the, the hyper competitiveness that, that it sounds like you're describing and, and kind of drawing some parallels between that and what we might call legitimate capitalism. That that's a whole other podcast topic, right? Whether there's any such thing as 
<laughs> really like, legitimately right yeah. <laughs> yeah there probably right. is like i to be fair <laughs> um but yeah like um that that idea this is something i've been thinking about a lot when i've been thinking about economic justice in general like we have this in our hyper individualistic hyper competitive american society we have this notion that a dollar not earned is a dollar lost right and mm-hmm. you know so you'll hear you know corporations will, will talk about you know something something happened a, a natural disaster or something i don't know what might happen, but, um, but people will say, oh, well, you know, XYZ corporation lost $20 million as a result of that. When the fact is they didn't lose $20 million. They just didn't earn that 20, right? And there's yeah. a difference, but we don't, we don't compute it that way. We, we see a dollar not earned as a dollar lost. And that's, that's a little bit when you're talking about this kind of shadow economy dynamic. Like I'm hearing a little bit of that. Does that does that kind of track with what your experience was? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and also, uh, what also tracks along with our uh, normal understanding of of a capitalist consumer economy is the exploitation that goes along. Um, because it, I, I think it goes without saying that the the drug culture is exploitative by nature. Um, You know, the, and, and it's, you know, I would have been, you know, I started out in my, for lack of a better term, career uh, as a retailer, right? A street level uh, retailer of substances. Uh, But, just like in our system, you move up the ladder, or at least that's the the, the intended goal. Uh, I ended up as a wholesaler, right? But but embedded in all of that is, and this is why we call it th- those of us who who were in it call it the game because it is manipulative it is exploitative and you are continuously looking for ways to get over on either your your distributors or your competition or the people that you are distributing to in order to expand your bottom line Mm. right so you do whatever it takes to put an extra dollar in your pocket by any means necessary. And when I say by any means necessary, I mean by any means necessary. Mm. Which is why, like I referenced a few minutes ago, my very first experience, I was robbed at gunpoint, right? Yeah. So, so, so yeah, it it is very much a game uh, and it it can be a life and death game uh, on multiple levels. So, so yeah. Wow. (laughs) This is, this is heavy and, and really, I mean, I think this is really important stuff. Um, Does, does there come a point where, I guess just the fact that, that you refer to it as a game probably answers the question, but 
does there come a point where all of the, I guess, kind of nefarious, for lack of a better word, stuff that goes along with that, um, just is is really just sort of the landscape of your life. It's just part and parcel, you know, whether it's, you know, violence or, um, you know, extortion or what I, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but does, does all of that, do you just kind of become numb to all of that? I guess is, is what I'm trying to ask. Yeah. Uh, I think you do, uh, because it goes along with that. It, it's part and parcel with that lifestyle. Um, it, it's just something that, that, that you take for granted. I, I, I will, um, one of the most liberating experiences that, that I have had in my life was following my God awakening, which I'm sure we'll get to uh, yeah, yeah. momentarily. Um, I, I found myself uh, with the ability to walk outside of my front door and walk around in public, not worrying about looking behind me. Mm. Wow. Not, not, not feeling naked if I didn't have a firearm with me or, or some other sort of weapon to protect myself. Um, that to say, to call that liberating probably is an understatement. Um, but just, just having the ability to walk down the street and not wonder if there is someone waiting for me around the next corner to try to take me out to take what belongs to me. Hmm. Yeah, I can imagine. I Which, mean, wow, that's, yeah. Which, as you can imagine, uh, brings with it layers and layers of trauma, right? Yeah. Of, of, of just psychological trauma that, that probably, truth be told, you know, 16 years removed from that lifestyle, it, I'm still probably untangling some of that trauma. Yeah, sure. Because I, I imagine that while, while you're in the midst of that, you're either completely in denial of the trauma and or the trauma is driving you in ways yeah. um, that that just are, you know, it, it just, it, it's a downward spiral, spiral kind of thing, I imagine, right? It's, I, I gotta, I, I guess I gotta ask, you know, do, is there a point there where you don't see any way out of it, I guess? Or did you uh, even want a way out of it? Is I guess maybe that's another another that's question. A question. Well, it, it, that that's the the uh, the profound dichotomy of it, Joe. Is is that I think? Well, I can only speak for myself, but but I know for for some of those that I was associated with, most of those that I was associated with in in that it is you always are looking towards the day when you can quote unquote retire, right? Where, where you can lay all of this down and live a normal life. But the, the catch in that is that because of your addiction, you never feel like you have enough uh -huh, yeah, yeah. to do that. 
that there there is there there is no such thing in your mentality as enough, right? Even if you set a goal, like like say you're you're setting a monetary goal, like once I reach this plateau, I'm calling it quits. I'm laying this down and I'm walking away. Well, that sounds good. <laughs> and until until you reach that goal and you suddenly realize, well, it, or you ask yourself the question, is this really enough? Mm. Is this really enough? So it's it's a then it becomes a mental game that you play with yourself. Um and again, it's it's the uh, underlying addiction that's driving you to not be able to get out. So, so really, and I know that this this sounds cliche because we we hear it all the time. Uh, most of the time, there are only two exit ramps, and that's either prison or death. Very, very rarely uh, does anyone get to retire, right? So, so yeah. Wow, yeah that that's there's just a lot to unpack there. Um, So I guess just you know just to kind of to move forward. I mean, I'm just I'm I'm kind of I'm a little bit stunned by the whole story because. you know, a, a lot of this is details that even, you know, we're good friends and I'm hearing some of some of this for the first time, although I think I had a sense of it. But um, yeah. So so how, you know, clearly you're not in that um, world anymore. Um, how did you get out like that's, you know, if you didn't take one of those two off ramps that you just mentioned um, and. And there's no, you know, you're not, you don't have a pension plan, right? <laughs> Even though you might think you have sort of a self-funded pension, I guess. But, <laughs> you know, there's not a, when you're in your 20s and 30s, I guess, in the midst of this, um, I can't imagine that you're thinking to yourself, I'm going to do this my entire life. Um, but yet, like you said, you know, you're in that spiral um, that, that seems inescapable. So how, how did that, how did that kind of come to an end for you? Yeah, so I, I think the it's 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 a complicated story, really. But I'll try to boil it down as best I can. Um, it probably started about five years into it, like uh, 1995, when uh, a large majority of the folks who I was associated with, who who are dear friends of mine to this day, um, ended up going to prison. Um, and then a couple of years later, uh, other associates of mine uh, went to prison. And that's when I started sort of rethinking the trajectory of my life. Mm. Um, two, two of those folks who went to prison are, are two of my dearest friends on earth, one of which uh, I am the godfather of his children. Um, so I started, I think I started at that point, sort of kind of looking for an off ramp. Um, so in 1998, I semi left uh, the, the game, 
the quote unquote game and got a job in the newspaper business, uh, which uh, eventually took me to South Carolina, uh, where I was in 2001 and suddenly found myself uh, hundreds of miles from home without a job. So, so what did I do? I reverted back to what I knew. Mm. And I was in South Carolina, just a hop, skip, and a jump from Atlanta, uh, where you can get all the quantities of anything you can imagine. Um, so I dove back into it mm. um, harder than ever, may I add. Um, and that, that went on for another four years. So to make a long story short, uh, in 05, um, I can remember very clearly, Joe and Brandon, uh, I was sitting, um, I, I had just had an argument with my live-in girlfriend at the time who would later become my wife. Uh, now ex-wife, but but we're still friends. Um, I had an argument with her, and at at one point in the argument, she said, "All you are is a drug dealer, and that's all you're ever going to be." Mm-hmm. And after the argument was over, I'm sitting alone in the kitchen of our apartment, and I was, and, and it's like the light bulb. Off, I was like, you know what? She's right. If I don't change something, she's she's right. So it was at that point that I began to uh, look for a um, a legitimate job. Ended up landing a job with a local radio station, um, and at that point, God, well, I know that argument. What came out of her mouth at that point was a God moment for me. Because from that point forward, uh, I, I started to have a lot of those God moments um, to the point where my mom, who, bless her heart, spent the vast majority of her life inviting me to go to church with her and had to endure me saying no every time, um, invited me to go to attend Easter Sunday services with her in 2005. And I remember, and I decided that I was going to, again, that's, that's a God moment. And I remember walking up the steps of what would become my home church, just a couple of blocks from where I grew up, uh, Memorial United Methodist Church in Williamson, walking up the front steps into the sanctuary on Easter Sunday, 05, thinking to myself, um, I'm going to have an open mind about this. Because at that time, I would have considered myself very much agnostic. Um, I walk in, and from the moment the service, the worship service began until it ended, it was as if... God was trying to get my attention in every aspect of that. Right down to the sermon that my my would-be pastor preached 
which I still have a handwritten copy of mm. uh, the, the, the handwritten pulpit copy uh, of that sermon that he later would give to me. Um, that was the beginning of my transformation, my, my God awakening. And just, and I know I, I hope I'm not rambling, but, but just to, to add to that, that was Easter Sunday of 05. On Easter Sunday of 04, one year previously, I shot at a man in broad daylight in downtown of my hometown and would end up being charged with, with a, a firearm charge behind it. Um, but that was that, that I, I think that just goes to show to, to me, that's just like a metaphor of the transformation that occurred with me from that time until Easter Sunday, the next year, which was really the beginning of what I call the beginning, beginning of my personal resurrection. Hmm. I just you got such a way with words, man. I love it. <laughs> so, so I didn't, I didn't allude to, I never heard any of this, um, during that, that weekend, uh, of us planning and stuff. When you and Joe started talking, I remember going outside with, uh, Jenny and Heather and, and I know you guys talked for a long time. And, and when we, when I came back in, I remember hearing Joe and, you know, Joe was all over the moon. Like we gotta, we gotta record this podcast and, <laughs> and, uh, but Brad, please forgive me because I, I mean, no, no disrespect by this, but I can't see you shooting at somebody. Like knowing you, how I know you, I can't imagine. Like maybe it's a, a stereotype of what I think a drug dealer is. But to hear this, you know, your story, it's like, man, I can't, I can't imagine Brad having all these drugs and shooting at people. Like this is this is so fascinating. Uh, it, it's funny that you say it, Brandon, because that's what most people. When they hear my story, most people that didn't know me then, yeah. this is what they say every single time. Every single time. And, and I think that's that's the, um, uh, the, the power behind my transformation is that for the folks that did know me then, it's just the opposite. Because they could have never imagined me being a pastor. Right? Uh, see, I was gonna, I was gonna <laughs> or, ask or, that, or or, or or even being a, a follower of Jesus, right? Let alone being a clergy person. Wow. So yeah, yeah, I was gonna ask what the people who knew you then what what they say. That's fascinating. I mean, that's that's intriguing. And you know, I I I'm hearing that story also through that that lens of trauma that you mentioned before. Right. How does how does an incident like that traumatize you? Um, you know, and and the. I guess sort of the consequences of it, right, the you know, the firearms charges and all that also. Um, but I, I I guess I again, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I got to imagine that somewhere in your mind, that stuff is all clicking. Right. <laughs> that that this is not sustainable or whatever. Right. Yeah. It's not sustainable. And, and I, I think, I think for all of us who, who were ever a part of that life um, in, in the back of your mind, you know, that, that 
is not sustainable. And you know that eventually, if you keep on, eventually either either the bullet that you are firing is going to find someone or a bullet is going to find you. Mm. Um, which, yeah, that that's all, again, that's the, uh, the, the entangled trauma that uh, I think uh, all of us who, who were a part of that still deal with and are still trying to unmesh ourselves from. Um, so, so, so yeah, it, it's, that, that's a good way to put it though. It's, it's, yeah. it's unsustainable. And I think we know that on, on maybe, maybe, and maybe for some of us, it's on a subconscious level. We, we realize that, but, but it's almost like, again, because of the addiction, and I go back to that point because it's key. You're, you're, you're almost trapped. Yeah. Yeah. In it. Uh, with, because you can't really see a way out. Can't really see a way out. And the, and the violence living day to day, just with the possibility of violence, uh, over time severely affects you psychologically. Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, there were there were times when I, I can think of a, a, a very specific instance where I was um, buying weight. Uh, and for those of you that that are unfamiliar with the, the jargon and the terminology, when I when I refer to weight, I, I'm referring to a very large quantity mm. of, of, of a substance. So, so I am in uh, um, Greensboro, North Carolina. To, to to cop some weight uh, from from a connect, and they take me to this house that I have never been to. It's me in a vehicle with, I think there were three other people that I really didn't know too well, and 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 I distinctly remember getting out of the car and and on my way down the sidewalk, uh, the the walkway to the house to the front door. I'm thinking. Well, you know, there is a distinct possibility that they may, I may not walk out of this house, right? Wow. Because I'm walking into this house with a boatload of money. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, a boatload of cash money with folks that I really don't know. Uh, and at that point, well, you, you just have to, you know, you just have to go with it, man. Mm. I mean, that's... Uh, I don't make to mean to make a light of the situation, but that just uh, I think amplifies the the psychological trauma and, and dealing day to day with not 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 so much violence, but possibility of violence. Yeah, yeah. That is that go that is part and parcel with the game. Wow. That's, yeah, I I I never lived that life. I'm a huge Survivor fan, um, the TV show Survivor, and. People always say that, like when you're in the game, you just don't know who you can trust and like what that exactly. does to the brain. And like when they come out of the game, it takes them a, a long time to, um, to to trust again. Right. And those people that were in the game with them, like, you know, and I, I just can't imagine with, with your story, like, you know, how that would go is, is that that's your living every day, waking up, not knowing who you can trust. Right. And that's uh pretty much one of the mantras of the game is trust no one. Yeah. Wow. Even those closest to you. 
because they 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 will do you quicker than anyone. Mm. Mm. Um, so and and again, there there's a saying that that we would live by if you did get um, uh, you know exploited or manipulated or cheated or or or, or however you want to phrase it. Chalk it up to the game. Mm. It is what it is, man. So I want to, I want to circle back. You, you, I, I like the way you referred to your um, your God awakening, um, because I think you know a lot of times. Actually, there's a couple of thoughts that are running concurrently in my mind. So I'm going to try to sort this out. Um, a lot of times we hear that story from people who come out of addiction and they have some kind of a religious experience. And, and I mean, no offense by this, but it can sound very cliche sometimes. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I, and I, it's not cliche. Like I think people have genuine experiences uh, of the divine in some way that, um, that helps them, you know, like you said, transform, right. Make a, make a change in their lives. Um, So I don't want to, I don't want to downplay that, but I like, when I heard you telling that story, what's going on in my deconstructed brain is Brad had a mystical experience, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't so much a religious conversion as you had some sort of a mystical experience, um, an experiential encounter with the divine um, that that then kind of I, I'm going to guess over time, not overnight, um, helped you to start seeing a different way of being. Does that make sense? Yes, which goes right along with my theology and 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 how I view salvation or or complete healing and wholeness is that uh, we are invited by the divine to participate in a different way of being in the world. And for me, that was um, the the beginning of what I referred to earlier as an awakening, but it, it was the beginning also of the deconstruction of, of that life that I had led and, and the mentality and everything all of the the values that I held up until that point began to be turned on their head. Yeah, that was that was um, sort of the second track of, uh, it, that I had in my mind was that yeah. whole that whole deconstruction thing. And you you had mentioned that to Brandon and I before we yeah. went live with the interview, but that there was there is a deconstruction process that goes with that, and and it's it's fascinating to me because you and I have been good friends for a while now, and I've kind of got to, to have a front row seat for some of this is to see how you continue to navigate, you know, those waves, as I often describe them of deconstruction, yeah. um, both, both from your, your kind of your previous life, but also with kind of the religious institutional life that, that we live like you're, you're an advocate for reform, <laughs> right. Um, to, to get us away from, to some of the institutionalism that continues to oppress and marginalize people and work towards, you know, your, your work with your, the holler gospel work that we've talked about before, right. Where, where the divine is coming alive in the low places of the world. 
<laughs> um, yeah, I just think, you know, that, that whole deconstruction journey, it, it's more holistic than just religious deconstruction, I guess, maybe. Oh, absolutely. It, it's a, it's a deconstruction and, and, and then a reconstruction of values and, and just mentality and, and worldview. Um, there, there was an instance during the, the early stages of my awakening when um, I was getting a haircut, uh, sitting in the barber chair, and my barber, uh, who ha- at this point had recently been released from prison and is also my best friend in life, the, the, the person that I referenced before as, as me being the godfather of his children, He's my barber. He's cutting my hair and I am talking to him as he's cutting uh, about what I am experiencing, about this this change that is occurring in my life. And at one point he shuts off the clippers and he looks down at me and he says, are you trying to tell me that you're trying to find God? Mm. And my and my response to him was no. God is trying to find me, which I think perfectly encapsulates my experience. Uh, mm-hmm. And when I look back up on my life, the, the entirety of my life was me running away from a God who was relentlessly pursuing me every step of Hmm. And until until I finally got to the point where I stopped running and, and allowed God to catch up to me, uh, thus thus began the 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 great awakening of Brad. Right? <laughs> yeah. Oh man, it's such good That's stuff. Great. Such good stuff. Well, unfortunately, yeah, we're kind of coming to the end of the time here. Um, but I, I'm, I'm so grateful, Brad, that you, um, first of all, I'm just grateful for your friendship, but, um, for you to come on here and, and tell your story and be so, um, authentic and so vulnerable. Um, I, I think this is, um, the kind of story that's going to, you know, inspire people in a lot of different ways and maybe not necessarily folks who are kind of in, in that world that you describe, but, but people who are just, um, you know, kind of looking for some hope in the world and can know that, um, that there's, that there's, uh, access to, um, I guess a kind of love that, that can transform you, that can, um, kind of change the trajectory of your life. And <clears throat> excuse me, one of the things that I love most about you is, um, you know, it, it's never about you. And, and that's one of the things I, I appreciate. And I think, Folks who read, you know, the stuff that you post um, on the Accidental Tomatoes blog site and everything can kind of see that authenticity that um, whatever whatever this encounter with the divine has done for you, um, your motivation seems to be to to help other people to to experience that as well and to and to find their way out of whatever their low places in life are. Yeah, it's. It's what I like to call, and and I didn't originate the term, but but it fits so well that I use it quite often. But but a radical reorientation of life, 
uh, a radical reorientation of being. And, and, and that is my, I think that's why maybe I come across as so passionate uh, with the work that I do, because I do, as you said, Joe, want, I want everyone to experience the, that, that radical reorientation that brings about uh, that, that comes through love, the love of God that is poured out on us and brings about healing and wholeness in our lives uh, that, that can really mend the brokenness uh, that all of us experience, whether it's, you know, being, being trapped in the lifestyle that I was in or, you know, the, for, for those of uh, for those of us in our communities that are struggling with uh, opioid addiction or whatever the trap may be. Um, I, as, as my, uh, my pastor said in that Easter's 2005 sermon, your life does not have a period at the end of it. God puts a comma there. And a new, and there is always the opportunity and the possibility for a new chapter mm. to be written. And that's that's so good. And 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 yeah, I mean, you know, I I think for those of us who have kind of gone through this sort of deconstruction and experience reconstruction, however you want to phrase that whole um, kind of continuum, you know, I think one of the things that we learn, um, and that I think you're such a great example of, is that 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 divine love, whatever it is, isn't something that just pours out of the sky. Like it gets expressed through the lives of other people who are around us. Um, and so I'm sure, you know, you didn't really talk about it much in your story, but I'm sure I can't, I can't imagine that part of your awakening didn't involve other people coming alongside, right. To display oh, that love. And then, and then the way that you sort of pay that forward um, is just, you know, it's inspiring. Yeah, I had a um, very supportive um, church family in the beginning uh, of of my my deconstruction and reconstruction process. That who who knew who I was, knew my background, but welcomed me with open arms anyway. That's great. Uh, and 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 did not judge me, did not prejudge me but walked alongside me, um, which I think is a beautiful example of what the church can be and should be, and a beautiful example of who God is and how God comes alongside us um, and, and sets us free, liberates us not only from, uh, not only from our own personal sins, so to speak, uh, but from the exploitative systems that we are enmeshed in, in the world. Mm. I love that. Well, Brad, um, as usual, you know, we could probably go on for a long time, but um, <laughs> we, we do have to, to wrap it up at some point. Uh, so grateful for you um, coming on here and telling your story. Um, grateful for the, the work you're doing uh, for the, the accidental tomatoes, Community grateful for the work you're doing down there in the coal fields to try to awaken folks to um, to justice and compassion and mercy 
and all the forms that it can come in. Um, keep keep doing the hard work, brother. We appreciate you. Well, I, I appreciate you all. And, and like I said in the beginning, I, I want to reiterate it, and I really mean it. Uh, you two are, are a couple of my favorite people in the world, and it's always a pleasure uh, to spend some time with you. And, and I appreciate uh, your friendship and, and your uh, the work that you all do, uh, both of you in the Accidental Tomatoes community and and you know, new wineskins. Everything that you are doing uh, is it's just fantastic. I applaud you. Well, the Mutual Admiration Society uh, meeting is now convened, and uh, we'll, we'll dispense with the reading of the minutes and move on. <laughs> Brad, thanks again so much. What, what a powerful uh, story. Uh, I think it's going to be really impactful for, um, for our listeners. Hopefully, this is um, a story that people will, will share with other folks in their lives who may find themselves kind of trapped in, in whatever you know circumstances um, might bog us down. Brandon? Um, another great episode, brother. Another yeah. another great time here on the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. I agree. I I, I wrote down a bunch of questions. Um, I mean, geez, this one could have been like a six parter. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. I had to like hold myself from asking stuff just because because of the time. But I mean, yeah, n- another great to me. Uh, not knowing Brad probably as much as you do, Joe it kind of gave me like the backstory of why he's doing this amazing stuff. Not necessarily it's the only reason, but you know what I mean? That seems like people um, when they're uh, transformed or whatever word you want to use for that, uh, the divine gets a hold of them, do great things in the world. That's that's, that's why we do what we do, I guess. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah so for, for all of you listeners out there, if you want to, if you want to learn a little bit more about Brad or, and the work that he's doing, um, you know, definitely uh, catch him on the Accidental Tomatoes website at accidentaltomatoes.com, where all of this content that we are creating and curating for for all of you can be found. Um, all of our podcast episodes are there, um, all of the blogs, and uh, and hopefully some really inspiring stuff. Um, as always, if you have ideas or suggestions for future guests or topics, um, we'd love to hear from you. Um you can find us, you know, on social media. Just do a search for Accidental Tomatoes and we'll come up. Or you can email us at accidentaltomatoes at gmail.com. So until next time, keep growing outside the fences and join us again for another episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast.